0: And now, The Voice of Truth. News, interviews, political commentary, current issues that affect Christians today. The Voice of Truth is your Washington, D.C. connection from a Christian perspective featuring host Shannon Sculton. The Voice of Truth contains unapologetic criticism of current events, reveals disingenuous politics, and addresses difficult issues. If you are easily offended by political incorrectness, listener discretion is advised. And
1: now your host, Shannon Scolton. Hi, and welcome to Voice of Truth. I'm your host, Shannon Scolton. Today was one of those tiring days of just constantly being in traffic, but I'm glad to be here in front of the camera talking to all of you, my wonderful audience, and interviewing an amazing man of the Lord, Gary Ray. Now you guys all know That I love I Am Watchmen and I love the ministry. I love Joker and Dylan Burroughs. I had to come speak at my church when I was in Twin Falls. I've developed a great relationship with these men. They're just phenomenal men. And Gary, I got introduced to not too long ago. He's just a passionate guy for the Lord. Gary loves the Lord, he loves scripture. He's been in pastoral ministry over 30 years, just a student of the word who just desires to make the word of God, I believe, clear to others. And that's why there are so many links in the description below. If you're watching live, if you're listening on the radio, you can definitely email me and I will send you those links and that information. Or you can find me here on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, Rumble. Uh, Also, I'm pretty sure we're live streaming on LinkedIn as well as Rumble and Twitter and Facebook. Uh, And of course, soon on YouTube, they keep shutting my channel down because, you know, why not? I just, I guess I'm just naughty. Uh, But at some point, maybe we'll be back up streaming on YouTube. But without further ado, I'm so happy to have Gary Ray on with me. Gary, thank you for coming on the program today.
0: It's a pleasure to be here, Shannon. Thank you very much.
1: Hey, you know what? We have fun on this program. Uh, I (laughs) I love, oh man, I love my audience. I love having fun. And I love the Lord. And so today, let's bring him Jesus, man. I'm just super excited. Uh, Tell everybody, besides my uh, informal introduction of you, uh, tell everybody a little bit about you, how you got involved with I Am Watchman.
0: Yes, uh, thank you again for the opportunity to share with you and and your listeners today and your viewers. I, uh, I love the Lord. I've been involved in ministry since I was 19 or 20 years old, and I'm 60 now, so I've been at it a little while. I was part of the launch team for I Am a Watchman in 2017. And some may not be familiar with the term watchman, but it is a biblical term. It's in the scripture about a dozen times, most notably in Ezekiel chapter 3 and chapter 33, where God calls Ezekiel to be a watchman, which really means to have a concern for the spiritual welfare of others. And uh, Brother Scott Townsend, who's the founder of the ministry, called together four or five guys to say, let's see what we can do. And and it just blossomed from there. So in just a couple of years, it had a presence on 430 radio stations, a presence in 160 countries, um, a a phenomenal following through Facebook and different other uh, social ministries, uh, social media uh, sites. Uh, God has blessed. We've prepared books and Research documents and inspirational uh, pieces, radio interviews that we thought would be helpful to the body of Christ. In short, our uh, our vision is to equip and inspire and embolden people to be the witnesses and the watchmen that we believe God has called us all to be.
1: That's amazing because we are called to be watchmen. We are called one to understand the times, right? And and Gary, this is a debate that Christians get into all the time when they say, "Oh, you're sensational," or "Oh." You know, you're always looking to the clouds, you're an escapist. Uh, What do do we say to them as believers that we need to be watchmen on the wall, we need to know the signs of the times? What is your message to them about the message that you guys have been bringing for the last few years?
0: Yeah, and it is true that uh, through the ages, people have set dates and have promised that the Lord would return or the world would end at a particular time or or date and uh, that has really done a disservice to the body of christ the i'm a watchman ministry does not set dates but we do believe the word teaches us to observe the signs and to be aware of the season and we believe that the concentration of fulfilled prophecies that have taken place over the last 70 years indicates that the return of the lord is near and so that's what we preach we preach readiness Um, be prepared, keep short accounts, be aware of what's happening in the world and know how that relates to Bible prophecy. 2,000 years ago, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of his days because they did not recognize the signs that announced his coming at that time. And I think Jesus would rebuke the church today for not talking more about the prophetic signs that indicate that his return is near and we need to be spiritually prepared for that.
1: So prophecy, the one thing I love about well, there's I'm I love prophecy. And I I live in that realm. You know, I was told today by somebody in a ministry that you know, some people just live in that realm. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. Yes. I live in that realm. So, you know, yes. I mean, guilty as charged, you know, I do live in that <laughs> realm. And, and you know, we can focus on the gospel, but you can't separate the gospel from prophecy because Jesus spoke more, if I recall, about the times to come than when he was on this earth. I mean, it, Jesus thought prophecy was important. I think that we should all think that prophecy is just as important now and relevant as it was then. But here's what I like. I like that Prophecy shows the goodness of God. It does. Right? It shows the graciousness, the love of Christ, uh, and for the redeeming of his people. And that the entire bridegroom, you know, bride of Christ relationship, it's a promise and it's a fulfillment. And for me, that's important because what other God that people worship promises such a beautiful ending than the marriage supper of the lamb? We have so much to look forward to, right? And so it promises the goodness, but then- it also validates the integrity of scripture, it right? Does. It validates the integrity of scripture. And it encourages me, I know, to be a better witness to people, to love people, to show the agape love of people, and to have zeal and fire for the things that are happening so that I can tell people that the time is near. Uh and that's the heart we should have, right? I mean, that's where we should be looking at prophecy in our in our lives as Christians.
0: Exactly. It does encourage uh and it prepares. Uh, We live uh, in a world of great skepticism today. And I think it's prophecy that helps us to be a bold and powerful and compelling witness. There are more than a thousand prophecies in scripture. 900 have already been fulfilled Mm. and they can be verified uh, by secular sources, archaeologists, historians, um, statesmen from ages past. They could look at who said what and when, what happened and verify that the Word of God has been fulfilled exactly as it has been presented. And so that should give a confidence that the remaining 100 or so prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled will unfold exactly as predicted in Scripture.
1: I I try to encourage people all the time. I say, you know what? Listen, you guys can pretend to be pan-millennialists or, or tribulationists, <laughs> whatever you want to call yourselves, but it matters because— if, if the Bible is lying about prophecy and the things to come, or even the tribulation, right, the pre-tribulation rapture versus mid-trib or post-trib, if there's any fallacy in what has been said, predicted by Christ, obviously not predicted, but forewarned about, we can say, then the entire foundation of our relationship with God is a lie. That is why it's so important to know where you stand. So let's go into that a lot because I get a lot of questions in regards to, you know what, Shannon, you are just so staunch on pre-chip and I'm mid-trib or I'm post-trib or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, at the end of the day, I don't believe that Christ wants to beat the tar out of his bride before he brings us up to the marriage Supper of the Lamb. That's my opinion. But let's talk about why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture or why we believe the Bible talks about a pre-tribulation rapture, because that is a common question I get all the time.
0: Sure. Um, first of all, let me say that we have a book available on our website and on my new personal ministry website called Free Excuse me, setfreeindeed.com. Mm. And it's um, what's next on the prophetic horizon. Mm. And we believe that uh, the, the pre tribulation, pre, yeah, pre tribulation attribute <laughs> is clearly presented uh, in that book and in the videos that we prepared on the I am a watchman.com site as well. But there are verses such as God has not ordained a time of wrath for his church. That's in Revelation 3. It's in uh, Jeremiah chapter 27. Uh, it seems to be the tone of what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse as he talks about the things to come. And then he speaks about one being taken, uh, one left behind, one working at the mill. And all of a sudden, uh, the second person that was working with that person is gone. There's a suddenness of the moment, 1 Corinthians 1557 speaks of how in a twinkling of an eye will be changed. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 speaks of how the restrainer that holds back evil right now will be removed. And pre-tribulationists believe that that's a reference to God rapturing his people, for the Holy Spirit lives in the hearts of believers today. And if the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is taken away, it's an indication that the church is going to be taken away. And so for these reasons and the many symbolisms in the scripture, um, it points to a God who rescues his people before times of special wrath. We've seen it through the time of Moses, the days of Noah, the days of Jonah, Uh, time and time again, God has shown us that that's his, that's his method. That's what he desires to do to save and to redeem and to rescue. And so we believe that the Lord is coming back and soon to rescue his people from a time of fierce judgment and tribulation that's going to come upon the world such as the world has never known.
1: You know, I talk a lot to people about the Jewish festivals, Yes. and how we can use them to look at things prophetically. And I think that a lot of believers, Gary, need to really get involved in learning those festivals and understanding that relationship and even covenants uh, so they can understand that we worship, and and you can correct me, I have no problem with you agreeing or disagreeing, but we worship an Eastern God, really. we worship this. It's a Middle Eastern, Eastern religion. It's not a Western religion. It's not a Western-based cultural religion, uh, and understanding that those things mean something aside from what we're tra- we're taught in the Western uh, Church, the modern day Church, uh, and understanding the desire that He has for His bride, understanding the wedding relationship and customs and the ceremonies, understanding all of the feasts. This is really important for us to really get a foundation, in my belief, of what we look for in the prophetic timeline. Your thoughts?
0: Yes. Um, let me hold up another book uh, is the Bible Prophecy Book. It's a free download on the Iamawatchman.com site, uh, or you can buy the paperback through my personal ministry site at setfreeindeed.com. And it speaks about how the, the festivals and the book Song of Solomons prophetically point to the coming rapture, uh, how the wedding feast uh, portrays what, really what's going to happen. We are the bride of Christ. It's a term that he initiated and lovingly bestowed upon us. We are his beloved. In the book Songs of Solomon, there's an unworthy bride who is singled out by this prince for an unknown reason. She can't believe that he would love her, but he does. He adores her, and she's happy, and they set a date. the betrothed, and they're looking forward to a wedding, and then the prince goes away, and he says, be prepared because I'm coming back. And she waits, and for a time she's faithful, but then she grows tired by chapter five, she's in bed and the the prince comes back and he knocks on the door and says, I'm ready. I'm here. Are you ready? And she's not ready. And she's slow to get up and he's outside. He's banging on the door. He's wet. It's raining or there's heavy mist. And it's kind of a pitiful sight that the prince, a princess would be kept outside. But slowly she makes her way to the door and. By the time she gets there, he's gone and she's left behind. And that's a picture of what's going to happen in the world today. I, I believe that there are many good people, good-hearted people, people who go to church and believe that they are right in their relationship with God, but they have missed something. And when the Lord comes back, they are not going to be spiritually ready to be raptured and taken away in advance of the seven years of tribulation and the horrors of the of what will, what the Antichrist will unleash mm-hmm. on the earth.
1: Listen, you are speaking 100% truth. And I want everybody to listen to what Gary just said, because the church is not ready. We are not ready. You know, I talk to people all the time and I say that I was talking to friends actually the other day, and it might have been my friend that's with me now or another group of friends that I had. But I said, a lot of people you and I know that we've known for years are going to be left behind in the days to come because... They have fallen away from their first love. They have given themselves over to Eastern forms of mysticism and church culture. They've dabbled in, you know, what is considered in the Bethel movements and other movements is, is Christian tarot or mysticism. Um, they've gotten away from scripture. They've become sensational in their need to almost invoke a, uh, an artificial Holy Spirit to give them this euphoria feeling. Uh, you know, when they worship. Right. And so I'm like, these people who had good foundations are turning aside and they're going to be left behind. Some of these are pastor's kids. We call them PKs, pastor's kids. Some of these people are pastors themselves who are giving into this Laodicean uh, gospel, the social justice gospel. This is the condition, right, of the Western church. This is the condition of the church period.
0: Yes. And it was prophesied. It was prophesied that it would be this way. It's it's sad, but it's true. Uh, I think the, the recent pandemic has really shown a spotlight on the church. Who is strong? Who mm-hmm. will stand up? Who will be brave? Who will keep going? Who will right. keep giving? Mm-hmm. And um, the church has really been hit hard in the last, couple of years, thousands and thousands and thousands of churches, evangelical churches have closed mm-hmm. because their people would just not hang in and continue serving the Lord through times of
1: difficulty. That's because the shepherds weren't shepherding, shepherding their sheep. They were behind the pulpit and they were either extremely refined, taught, and you know manicured in a sense to be really good teachers and they can teach. But because you can teach scripture doesn't mean you love the Lord, you believe it, that you live it. Uh, We've we've been given over to this dynamic, charismatic speaker sensation that's been taking place in America. And then there were people who got into it just because you know, mom did it. She was involved in ministries. I was, you know, she was a single mom. I wanted to serve in a church or my dad, or it's a family business kind of thing. And their hearts weren't in it. There really wasn't a calling for them to pastor or shepherd these sheep. And then when everything went to pot they were under such a spirit of fear that yes. they didn't know what to do and jack hibbs said something mm-hmm. really interesting and i love jack he said he said you know what those churches needed to close those pastors did not need to be behind be behind a pulpit and leading people astray and i agree with him
0: yeah it's uh, it's been a time of pruning that's for sure
1: and, and in our culture
0: we tend to associate uh, being doing the right thing with with it being easy. Mm-hmm. If it's comfortable, if I'm happy then it's right. That's the thing I'm supposed to be doing. So when hardship comes, especially when the church is in the middle of that, you know, people pull back and they're unsure of where the Lord is, what happened. But if we read prophecy, we know that that's exactly what we should be prepared for. It's not a time uh, of, of easy living. It's not a time to pull back. Uh, it's not a time to build a bunker. It's, it's a time to step up and to be courageous and to live for the Lord in a very, um, powerful, bold way at this special time in history.
1: Let me tell you something that happened to me. We're going to make it personal. I left Vegas, went to Twin Falls, Idaho to serve CSN. Uh, Twin Falls, great, you know, small community, very red, you know, Bibles and guns kind of thing. And during the pandemic, a lot of people fled major metropolitan cities to go to the country, right? Because of the tyranny and the overstretching hand of this tyrannical government that we were seeing, whether it was on a state level or a federal level, they were all fleeing. Uh, And that was in some regard a good thing in a way because they were waking up to tyranny, but in, in a way it was bad because a lot of Christians started fleeing where they were. They started fleeing Washington. They started fleeing Oregon because the oppression got so heavy and it was so difficult to be in such for lack of a better word, really demonic, oppressed city that they ran. And so my view on that was, look, where was the call and the prayer and the fasting to say, should we stay or should we go? Not everybody was called to go. They ran out of, again, fear. All right. And so fast forward, I'm in Twin Falls. I decided to do my show full time and I'm really trying to build it and gather a team and do ministry. And I'm praying and I'm like, okay, God, wherever you want me to go, I'm going to go. I don't care where it is, New York, Florida, Chicago. It doesn't matter. Texas, California. I, I was totally open. And I did that intentionally. People are like, you're nuts. Why would you even think of going to California? Why'd you even go down there? And I said, because I don't want to put any of my own desires ahead of God. I want to say, you know what? I'm willing wherever, right? He brings me back to Vegas. I got so much flack from so many people like Vegas, the pandemic, it's like a war zone. It completely shut down. You know, what are you going to do? It's dangerous. And I'm like, whoa, you know what? I'm called to ministry. So guess what? If I'm called to walk into the midst of the fire, I'm going to walk into the midst of the fire uh, because I have to be a voice in that community and stand up for what God has told me to do and not run. And that is the mentality we need to have right here and right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I have found that when you're in the fire, you're not alone. So it's it's a good place to be.
1: It's a good place to be. We need to encourage people to say, stop stop running and start thinking about what God calls you to do As, as a believer. Sometimes you're called to go just full bore right into the midst of chaos because he's not chaotic. And if he brings you in the midst of chaos and you're in the center of chaos, there will be that protecting that surround that surround you you will have the Holy Spirit with you and your life will be in order. How many people can you minister to when you're operating in the spirit and you're doing what God has called you to do? You're living the life he's called you to live. You're ministering to people. You're doing whatever that individual calling is and you can have peace and you can put your head on your pillow at night when everybody, everything else is falling apart around you. What a testimony. Yeah, what a testimony, true. right?
0: In Acts 19, Paul arrives in Ephesus It's the second stop, and he finds 12 people that are believers, but their belief is skewed. So he, he needs to kind of start from zero and explain the nature and role of the Holy Spirit. These are good people, but this is all that was there. 12 people who had limited knowledge of God. They just had good hearts. Paul stayed there for two years and discipled those 12, and those people discipled, and the people they discipled discipled others and by the time you get to the end of the chapter we read that all of the people in the asian theater were exposed to the gospel message Mm. well that's two million plus people hundreds of square miles and this was accomplished by 12 people who for the most part were uneducated Mm -hmm. they had few resources terrible communication tools uh, no technology. And yet they did an incredible work for the Lord in two years. I wonder what they could do with the resources that we have today. Oh
1: my gosh. Right. But that's what
0: the church needs to do. Step up.
1: That's what we need to do. Step up. I encourage, so, you know, my kind of slogan is, you know, be a voice of truth in your community. That's what I constantly say in my shows. And it couldn't be more important than now you know, we all have a role to play in the kingdom. I think that the church has perpetuated a fallacy that you have to be involved in an actual building church, which I do believe you should be involved in, in fellowship and a church, and you should be being led and and discipled. But that if you're not sent out, right, your hands aren't laid on, you're not sent out, that you're there to just receive. And that if you want to be in ministry, you have to you have to be in ministry in that church in that building. And I think that that is right. very significantly detrimental and deadly to the Christian. And here's why: if you are a believer in Christ, you are called. If you're called, you're called to be a disciple and fulfill the Great Commission. Period. Everything you do and everywhere you go is your mission field. So we need to get the mentality out of our heads that oh well, I'm not in ministry. Oh, no. are you a believer? I mean, because yes. if you are. You are one person, but you're called to your lane. God has given you a direct lane and you need to drive in that lane. And you can't say, oh, well, my I'm not called to ministry. I don't, I'm not in ministry. We are all in ministry.
0: Amen. Right? What you're really describing is the church in Acts. And um, as the I'm a Watchman ministry team thought about what the last days were going to be like, we anticipate a time, especially after the rapture, where there will be kind of a reversion back to the early chapters of the book of Acts where there will not be strong internet ministries and cathedrals and great buildings and strong youth programs and worship teams. That's going to be gone. The church will be underground and they won't be sent out by bishops or pastors. They'll be sent out by small groups who are seeking the leading of God and, and commissioned on the spot to go out and do a great work for the Lord.
1: I call it the organic church. Yes, that's your kid. I'm going to tell you another story. I'm in storytelling mode today. (laughs) So a church, which I'm not going to name for sake of not causing problems anyway, you know how that goes. There was a church somewhere in some town that I was involved in, and I was part of a young adults ministry there. And the young adults ministry at the time was ages 18 to 32, which I found quite odd because after the age of, I don't know, 20, I think that you should be moving into men's ministry or moving into women's ministry. Someone should be discipling you and pulling you into those ministries. But I digress. Anyway, it was a broad range of ages in this ministry. And I was a leader in this young adult's ministry. And there was an inner church scuffle, like all churches, because it's run by men and men are sinful. Uh, And there was a separation that took place. And the pastor sat us down And there was me and a bunch of other people in a room who were assisting essentially in that ministry. And he said, you know, I want to know what your guys' mission is for this ministry. And I want to know, I want you to write a business plan. And I was like, "Er?" you know, like again, Shaggy, you know? Uh, And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I need a business plan. I need a mission statement. And I said, "The, the ministry's refuge the ministry is young adults are coming on Friday nights. We're feeding them for free. And because we've been feeding them, it went from 10 to 70 and yeah. they're getting Jesus and they're getting worship and we're discipling and we've created it as this just amazing discipleship fellowship group. What? And they're growing and they're on fire. What do you mean? What, what needs to change? No, we need this. We need this. We need this. And of course, all the other people in the room, God love them are foaming at the mouth to just kiss this pastor's rear end, right? Like, oh, I'll do you know? And I'm just like, oh, whatever, bro. You, you do you. And I'm like, I don't agree. So me and this other gentleman were sitting there. We were friends and I'm looking at him and I'm like, and you know, his name was Nova. And I'm looking at him and he just shakes his head and he's like, can I speak? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, man, I just believe in the organic church. He's like, I don't, we don't need, I understand like from a corporate church standpoint, you need, you know, budgets, business plans, whatever, Of course, now I was a previous CEO of a church and I understand that, but I I never swayed away from the organic church. There's a way Christ told us to set it up. And when we start making business plans and running it as a business instead of a ministry, and there's a fine line there. I'm fully aware there's this, there's a, there's a fine line between stewardship and not stewarding stuff. Uh, we need to be, we need to be stewards, but when we run it in that manner, there's a major issue and that is what ended up happening i said you know what we need this organic church why are we sitting here like we have to re have you know create the box or the wheel we're reinventing the wheel this is what the book of acts says this is what god put on our hearts shouldn't we just continue to love these kids coming in from all these wacky churches and give them jesus yeah. and food and just minister to them. Like, I mean, to me, it wasn't hard to understand. Well, that, that ministry ended up changing into something called doulos and they would hang out. And it was whatever, but they were going to try to go out and evangelize and it fell apart. You know why? Because these kids didn't know anything. They didn't know what to evangelize. You were, you were bringing them in to force evangelism and they had no, no clue what to do. No, no real foundation for themselves yet of really what scripture was or who God was in them or Or maybe they had a little bit, but like you said, it was a tainted, you know, view of what Christianity was and they needed that discipleship and the whole thing fell apart. What does that tell us, right? Yeah.
0: The church is, is wide today, but not deep. Mm. And um, Yeah. yeah, very, very sad state of affairs.
1: That's what happens in a lot of churches, though. You know, that's what happens, you know, and we've got to get back to this. we got to get back to saying, what does scripture say? If if you and I both know that in the end, this is a possibility, the church is going to go underground. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. It's not a possibility. We know the church is going to go underground because of the condition of the world with the, with a one world government and the antichrist system. Yes. Then why not start preparing people now and you know, getting more church groups and home fellowships and more things out into the community rather than centralized. Yes. What do you think that they, what do you think the big hangup is with churches on why they don't do more of that?
0: (laughs) That's a hard question. (laughs) I think, uh, I think I know the answer, but I don't want to say the answer because it's so horrible. No, say it, say it. We like, we like the real is, is control. (laughs) I think many churches are, uh, are, are smaller. Many churches are led by small boards that want to micromanage. Yep, uh, they're running on a very thin budget, usually under budget. And the idea that uh, a couple families might go rogue, uh, start their own thing, or leave, or do something to cause a problem that they weren't, you know, specifically monitoring with every lesson plan and so forth—it's um, it's scary. Yeah. And I do understand that. Uh, And we do want our ministries to survive. And many have poured out their life, you know, for decades into particular ministries, and they don't want to see it damaged. And and I do appreciate that. But when I see the ministry model of Jesus, I, I see Jesus investing a short amount of time in a group of 70 disciples in Luke chapter 10, saying, you're called, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit go and preach go and heal and come back at the end of the day and tell me what happened and they come back excited because they saw satan even fall from from the you know from his source of power Uh, it was so phenomenal Uh, great things happened and jesus wasn't micromanaging that He, he was equipping and then sending and that's what the church needs to do we're not we don't gather for entertainment there is a social component and i appreciate that but we gather for training. We Mm -hmm. gather for um, kind of the coordination of ministry. We gather to be sent. Mm -hmm. Going to church is not the destination. It's the launch point.
1: Amen, brother.
0: The the church needs today is kind of a fundamental change in philosophy about why we are here and what we are to expect.
1: Preach. I mean, You nailed it on the head. It's a control issue. You know what you just said? And you just completely encapsulated the word fear. They're afraid. Ooh, those pastors are afraid to lose control. They're afraid to lose money. They're afraid to lose money. They're afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid. God did not give us a spirit of fear of a sound mind now we're operating under fear so why does the church look like it looks when that is the mentality we have so then fear makes us hold on tightly and we want control we want to have the stranglehold on our congregation and our congregants and we're suffocating them to the point to where their spiritual lives are just completely lifeless and dull. And we wonder why the Bible talks about in the end, there's going to be this great falling away. You know, I always tell everybody, praise the Lord if you think you found a great church. I look at it as extremely concerning when a church has two, three, four, five, six thousand 6,000 people coming and not even a, 1% of them is being sent out in that city. Not even 1% of them is being sent out for church plants. Not even 1% of them is maybe doing missions. Not 1% is doing home fellowships. Not 1% is starting Bible school programs in their local communities, in the local school districts. There's an issue. That is a dictatorship. And that is that is not Christ-centered. That is me-centered, my church, my flock, my money, my business, my ministry, And that is scary. And that's why it falls apart. That's why it it falls apart. Yeah.
0: If it's um, (laughs) based on our plan, it's not going to uh, withstand the trials that are coming uh, that are already here. You know, church is shaken already. And and we're still um, we have more to experience, I believe. It's going to get worse. So so do these.
1: So so. do these pastors uh, practice what they preach? Well, really, not really, because we're supposed to rely on God, right? And God's supposed to give us the increase. Then what are we worried about? It
0: is true. And it's easy to say it. But the truth is, you can't receive what God wants to give if you're holding so tight to onto what you ha- already have. Yep. So you, you've got to let go. You've got to trust and let God. And it, it might cost you your job. I, I know what that is like. And some church congregations and some church leadership teams are not going to like that. Philosophy, but I think it's biblical. And I think the closer we align ourselves to biblical patterns, the more blessed our lives are going to be.
1: Yeah. You know, the apostasy of the church is happening pretty rapidly, even uh, major church organizations that I'm not going to mention in this broadcast because I like you too much to get you in trouble Uh, (laughs) and have you go down with the ship. But there's a lot of you know, apostasy, really, that's manifesting in really well-known church franchises, again, for lack of a better term. It's true. There's an ecumenical movement that is taking place. There's a fast race towards um, promiscuousness and essentially homosexuality being allowed in churches. I mean, even different denominational groups ordaining women, ordaining homosexual leaders or lesbians as as bishops or pastors or whatever. I mean, this is a way that the world is going. So we don't just see the really good churches who operate under fear. <laughs> we see other denominations going down this path of ecumenical belief systems and all-encompassing religion and uh, really diving into gray areas. Uh, and that's happening more and more frequently. I mean, from your experience in church to now, How quickly did you see that transition, really? Yeah,
0: it's like light speed. It's it's unbelievable what uh, mainline churches, I'll I'll say it that way, argue about today. uh, It would be unheard of 50 years ago. Mm. And that's that's not too many years ago. It's just unbelievable that we argue about uh, whether or not there's a heaven uh, or a hell Yeah if the story of the miracles of Jesus are to be understood as figurative, or did they really happen? The the points of dispute are just across the board. There's no limits now. It's everywhere. And the fact that we have a generation of of people who are not well trained in the scripture is just Adds fuel to the fire. No one or few people really know what the truth is or, or will uh, invest themselves in study to find out. And they're easily led astray by charismatic leaders who want a progressive or liberal slant on things. Mm.
1: Oh, listen, listen, if you're listening to this broadcast, you're listening live, uh, maybe you're listening over the radio. Uh, you know, I want you to really take to heart what we're talking about, because these are really important things that we're discussing. These are not flippant ideologies or things that haven't been really molded over. These are things that we're seeing in the church that we've either firsthand experienced dealt with or that we know biblically is really transpiring at a rapid pace. You know, I say all the time on the program that the tachometer is redlining and we really are. Uh, There's an amazing pastor who does great prophetic updates. Gary, I don't know if you've heard of him, J.D. Farag. I don't know if you've listened to him. Great. Oh, man. He does some great prophecy updates. And as a matter of fact, I haven't watched since I've moved. And I should. I love J.D. I've talked to him on occasion. Uh, Just a great man of the Lord. And he just is so sensitive. He has such a burden on his heart for the things that are happening now. You know, and he told me on the phone one day, he's like, you know, I've been doing this prophetic updates for decade or more uh he said and every single time I would say oh my gosh today it's it's more than last week and it's more than last week and he goes but now he's like shannon seriously but now it is quickening there is a quickening in the air unlike anything I have ever seen before and it, it's a heavy burden to carry right because you know God has called you to speak and say certain things and some people don't like it and he's so sensitive to what God wants him to do and I'm like man there is a quickening. And now we see this entire, I'm telling you, Gary, and I want your opinion on this because I've been posting a lot about it. We literally, in my opinion, see Ezekiel 38, 39, a gnat's eyebrow away from completely unfolding. Your thoughts?
0: Yes, I I agree. I think there's a number of things happening in the world today, whether it's technology, uh, whether it's pandemics, whether it's you know global uh, uncertainties. Uh, it could be uh, Russian incursions into uh, you know, the Ukrainian theater, which could be a stepping point to the Gog-Magog war you just referenced. Uh, you see all kinds of unrest in the nations right around Israel, which may portend to the Psalm 83 war. We see Damascus being bombed already and uh, threatening uh, Israel with stockpiles of new weapons supplies from Iran. That's uh, a link maybe to Isaiah 17 and the destruction of that city. All of these things link to the very last days, the technology for a new global economy, the idea of tracking people or limiting movement or being able to control the ability to buy or sell or work or receive medical care. All those things are in the paper right now. So it's incumbent on God's people to sound the alarm. We must be ready for the return of the Lord. If he does not come for a hundred years, it does not matter That's right. that we're ready today. Let us be ready and keep our, our lives pure and right before the Lord. Let's do all that we can every day that we can so that we live well and finish well for him.
1: You know, what's interesting is uh, your blood or their blood is not gonna be on your hands. And I tell that to believers a lot. What do you have to lose? Think about this. If you're listening right now, I'm talking directly to you. What do you have to lose by sounding the alarm? The blood of those people are not on your hands. If they turn away from what you're saying and, and they dismiss you or you know they're dim- dismissive, divisive, even remove their fellowship from you or friendship, uh, if you sound the alarm, and let me let me clarify, sounding the alarm, I'm not talking about activism. I'm not encouraging you to go with picket signs uh, and led lights and that say, you're going to burn in hell and all this kind of stuff. No, you know, that is not, I believe the spirit of God at all. And whether some people think there's a time and a place for that or not, I'm not going to argue right now, but I've never seen anybody do those things and act in love. And that's what I've seen firsthand. But what I am telling you to sound the alarm about is in person, personal and intimate relationships, sounding the alarm in love, in agape love. I talk about love all the time everyone, you're going to get sick of me talking about agape love. But you're supposed to love these people, love your enemy, love your brother, love your neighbor. You don't want them to get hit by the oncoming train. So what kind of person are you, right, Gary? If you see this Amtrak going, whatever, however fast they go, and you see a group of people on the track, what kind of person were you if you don't tell them to get off the track because the train is moving? that's how i look at it right i mean i look at it like how callous and cold disassociated or disassociative in your personality narcissistic whatever uh could you be to not care to tell them to get off the track and if you're watching it happen you're a sick person so if you transcribe that you flip it around to your spiritual walk that's what you're doing in my humble opinion when you don't sound the alarm you're letting that train come for those people knowing the ultimate outcome is death, and you're just sitting back and letting it happen. Your thoughts?
0: Uh, I agree. I think God warns whom he loves, Mm -hmm. and we need to do the same thing. In in, uh, Ezekiel 33, when God commissions the prophet, he says, I want you to be a watchman, and I want you to tell them what is about to happen. What I reveal to you, you share with them. And if they don't listen, it's on them. But if you see what's happening and you do not say anything, then their blood will be on your hands exactly as you said it. And so we are held accountable, especially in this age. We have been given so many resources to know what God has done, to be able to see what God is doing and to have insight into what he is going to do in the days to come. It is our responsibility to know these things and to share these things as best we can.
1: We're so focused and, you know, I'm going to try to make this come across not in a condescending way, but we're so focused as believers on who's the Antichrist. Is it Obama? Is it Trump? Is it Biden? Is it Kamala Harris? I mean, we're so focused on nonsense and we waste our time doing hours of just completely ludicrous things, and we we waste time on what we really could be doing. And how selfish of a society are we? Where you know we want to go home, we want to watch Netflix, we want to have popcorn, we want to have our soda, we want to relax in the hot tub, have our wine, whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever. Um, and we don't want to be in intimate fellowship with people, and I understand why. Because there's a lot of fake people in the church that masquerade as Christians and they're not. There's a lot of believers who wear, you know, the, the mask uh, and they end up hurting each other. There's a lot of people who operate from trauma and past trauma. uh, And there's a lot of pain that happens. I mean, when you get close to people, the church can be a very bitey place because it's full of sinners, sick people who need a hospital, right? Who need a savior, who need a healer. Uh, And so what happens is we start refraining from intimate relationship and fellowship, and we become very fake. We start pushing people away. And we, we go to church on Sunday. We love Jesus. We listen to the radio all day long, Jesus music. Uh, And we go about, maybe we do a devotional, maybe we don't. We pray at dinner, though, and we pray with our kids. And that's the extent of our Christian walk. And to invite people in and be intimate with them or to sacrifice our time for that fellowship is non existent anymore. I agree and you know i understand why i get it i've been burned by people in the church let me tell you but what i do is i pray look i don't want that to harden my heart i don't want to be remissive of their needs their wants their desires or their traumas maybe that i'm there to lay hands on them pray for them pray for deliverance break bondage encourage uplift and exhort uh and it, it's hard there's times i'm in my prayer closet and I'm, I'm i'm pretty broken because of the nature of relationships that have gone wrong. But I could be clean before God, knowing that I don't walk away with a hardened heart. That's happening a lot. I mean, maybe it's it's just in the churches I go to, but I mean, that's what I see. Tell me if I'm wrong.
0: No, I think you're right. Right on. And our uh, our culture, our technology, social media has allowed us to be isolated. And uh, even the lockdowns, the pandemic, yeah. it all factors in. And, and it's easier. Uh, but but God does want us to um, to invest our lives in discipleship. And discipleship from a biblical perspective is not just. Teaching and then running, it's, it's living it out and modeling. Mm-hmm. And that's what Paul did. That's what Jesus did. And that's what the apostles did. And that's why the world changed, even in the midst of fierce persecution and oppression from the Roman Empire.
1: To live is Christ, to die is gain. And Amen. that is something we need to really take a hold of as believers. And let's kind of talk about that. We have a, an ideology in the Western church that we're not going to suffer persecution at all. And one aspect, we're looking and waiting for the Lord's return, but it is it is this escapist mentality where we're not going to suffer at all. We want to get harpazoed out of here before we have any tribulation. Meanwhile, in other areas of the world, people are being beheaded, killed, tortured, dismembered, disfigured, raped, uh, buried alive for their faith. Um, what happened there? What happened for the complete disconnect, and not, not for martyrdom, but Understanding that we have to pick up our cross and follow Him, and there is a cost to discipleship.
0: Yes, yes, Uh, we're we're called to die. We're called to pick (laughs) up our cross and and follow Him, and we should not expect our lives to be better or more comfortable uh, than what Jesus Christ Himself experienced. And so, if we have that mindset, we're going to do well. If we're in it for the marathon. Um, and we only have to run 100 yards, that's great. But if it's the other way around and we're trying to run 100 yards, but we end up having to run the marathon, um, we're not going to make it. And that's why so many give up today. I want to share just a little bit about a resource we have for those who are not going to be taken in the rapture and what that post-rapture world is going to look like and how Believers today can have a, a part in reaching those people for Christ. Mm. Would that be okay?
1: Go ahead. It's probably one of my favorite okay. things to talk about. Go ahead. Go yes. for it.
0: Well, we anticipate a world where all of a sudden millions are going to be gone. The true pastors are going to be gone. Mm-hmm. The true ministries like mm-hmm. yours, the platforms like yours, they're going to be taken down. And with the rise of the Antichrist, all things Christian are going to be put away. There's going to be so much misinformation and chaos. The the question is, how are those people going to come to faith? And even if they find a Bible or they remember what Aunt Sue told them about coming to Christ, even if they get there, how are they going to grow in Christ? How are they going to be strong? They're going to have to be stronger than the average church member today because of the fierce Persecution that they're going to have to face. The Bible speaks of a great revival taking place in those last seven years, and I want to be a part of it. So, our, our ministry developed something called a rapture kit. It is a very simple idea. Basically, it's 26 gigs of information, non internet dependent. We put it on a flash drive. Uh, their videos, their books, their uh, documents, their inspirational pieces, their educational pieces. Their, it's a library of information designed to bring people to faith, help them understand how to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and then grow them so that they're not just believers, but they become the next generation of leaders for Christ and a lot of people have thought about, well, what can I leave for my friend or my relative who I, I don't think they're going to come to the Lord before the rapture comes? Will I leave them a Bible? Will I write them a note? Will I give them a, a, a letter with some cash in it or something? And those ideas have merit, but this idea allows people to give more, not just a little information, but hours and hours and hours of information, 20 hours of video and 2,000 pages of, of documents that helps them move through the fundamentals of the faith, grow, know what's going to happen, helps them prepare for what's going to happen, and to become the next generation of leaders for the Lord. Listen. So my heart is to see this Rapture Kit resource get out to as many as possible before the rapture takes place.
1: You guys have no idea how much I love this rapture kit. I'm gonna be talking to Gary about it later. You have no idea when they gave that to me, when Joe and Dylan came out to Twin Falls and I saw that, I was like, you have got to shut the front door. The thing is, it's so amazing. Listen, you guys, I have been around in the church for years. I grew up in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I've seen tons of different resources. Chuck did a great video on the rapture. I mean, we, we've all had these different um, books and videos and CD sets over the years. But when I saw this rapture kit and I saw the flash drive, my mind, I was like, I need it. <laughs> I need that. They were just amazing. I mean, my women's ministry, because as a women's ministry leader, I can't even tell you, they all were just like, can I have 10 of them? I mean, because we all know those people, boom, instantaneously that come to mind that we're like, they need that, right? Yes. I love the rapture kit. I'm going to be talking to Gary more about that because to get it out as much as possible, it's going to be such a valuable resource in the end. You know, I don't even think money and cash is going to do it. We're going to probably in a cash, be in a cashless society. We're going to have the mark of the beast. You could try to leave them cash. It'll probably be like Venezuelan used as toilet paper by that time. Um, yeah. good, good luck maybe leaving your car. I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, conjecture on what a post for other terms, ap- apocalyptic society will look like. Um, but the rapture kit is just, it's amazing. I just, I can't tell you how much I love. I don't love a product period right now in the Christian realm, in Christendom more than this kit. And le- let me tell you why. Uh, And I'm going to talk about this. I have a listener, uh, Christy uh, Wilson, who says, you know, I want you to talk about more about homosexuality allowed in the church. And she's seeing this and this ties into that. I'm going to answer your question, Christy. But I have family that was raised in the church. Okay. And this is a personal thing for me. I have family that was raised in the church that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt knows who Jesus is and they have turned away from Christ. They are living in a homosexual lifestyle. They are not just engaged, married. And it hurts me so bad to think that because they've engaged in such layers of sin that are so sexual sin, especially some of the hardest sin to be pulled away from, it's the most addictive Uh, it's just horrible that the enemy has blinded them so much that they have a very tainted view of scripture. And for me, it's personal because I know that I could say, Hey, I know, you know, but you don't really know. And that the words and those pastors and that those documents and everything in there, that the Holy Spirit is going to open the door and the, the word of God is going to pour out so heavy. I pray that it falls on, on them like a a heavy mist or a heavy dew that weighs them down that they can't escape it. Right. They can't escape the truth. That is what I pray. And that's why it's so important to me. And, you know, there's a lot of homosexuals in the church right now, Christy, if you're still listening, who still think they're going to get raptured. And when stuff hits the fan, they're going to be like, I don't know what I did wrong. I don't understand. And when you have something just pure biblical truth, great doctrine, theologically sound that they pop in and think about it, the most bleakest time. The most horrific time that if if it's not shortened, everybody would die. Think about that, right. right? There, every yeah. single person would die. That is going to be life. That is going to be f- that is bread and that is living water, and that is why it yeah. is that important. Uh, and I can't speak enough about the Rapture kids, and we're going to talk more about that. I mean, we're it's our, we're already done. I mean, it's been an hour. I could talk to you for four more hours about all this stuff, but you know, I just want everybody to know how much gary loves them how much i love you guys how much i am watchman all the people joker and dylan and all the people involved we we love you we we want to pour out what god has put into our hearts to you so that you don't sit there and absorb it like a sponge and not go and pour it out on other people we want you to be you know a sponge that leaks out the love of god over everybody don't just absorb but redistribute what you hear and what you know share these messages share these videos Like and subscribe. Make sure you comment because this is going to get more traction. It gets it out on the internet. You know, I'm on over 500 station nationwide. I'm streaming now. Streaming is a new thing, but in order to reach this younger population and generation, you guys, we need to do it through the internet in this way right now. So continue to take what you've learned and get it out there. Gary, gosh, it was so good to have you on. I just love talking to you. Uh, Well, obviously, we're gonna have to have you on again because there's just, just endless stuff to talk about, but. Let everyone know one more time where they could find you before we go.
0: Thank you. Uh, My personal ministry website is setfreeindeed.com. And uh, the uh, I Am A Watchman website is imawatchman.com. There's also information on rapturekit.org. It's available there as well. So rapturekit.org.
1: Hey, you know what? God bless you. Listen, everybody, thank you for listening to Voice of Truth. If you want to reach me, email me, Shannon at voice of truth slide in my DMS. I'll write you back, follow on Instagram and Facebook, Twitter, telegram, rumble YouTube. Once it gets back up and running, we're on all of the platforms <laughs> to keep in contact with you. Go to the website, voice of truth sign up to join the movement so we can get you that e-newsletter, which we'll be getting out soon. Uh, stay in touch again. Don't forget to like subscribe we thank you for all your donations and your love and your prayer and your support until next time, everybody listen, be a voice of truth in your community. God bless.